We're going to the book of Daniel. I want to read you just a few verses of Scripture here at the very beginning and then get into the message. Daniel chapter 1, and this is the beginning of the very first verse. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, Judah is one of the two kingdoms in Israel. Israel was split into two kingdoms. Judah is one of the So this is God's people, okay? Judah, that's God's people. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that's an enemy that is taking over everything about the known world, and he is setting up his own empire. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. God's people were embattled. The enemy had shown up on the doorstep, lay siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him. That doesn't make sense to me. The Lord handed the king of his people over to Babylon. That doesn't make sense to me. Along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Some people translate that and say, that, and God also handed over the vessels out of his house. Now, we, we don't have vessels like that, but like we've got instruments and, and we've got things like that, that we say, hey, we, we use these to, to glorify God and to praise him. And it would be like God taking this keyboard that Jeff has been playing and, and play, pr- playing great praise music to God. It'd be like God taking this and giving it to an enemy that is going to take it and do vile things with it because that's what he did. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God. And he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Go on, please. That doesn't compute with me. I don't understand. I don't get that. I don't understand that. The king ordered, this is King Babylon, this is the king of Babylon. Uh, He ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family, the king's own family, and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. Go on. So he, bring, he said, bring them in. I want you to teach, find, find wise young men that we can train. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that three years, they were to serve in the king's court, the king of Babylon. They were to serve in his court. And among them, from the descendants of Judah, of God's people, among them, of God's children, were these four, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <laughs> Some weeks are tougher than others. Amen? I thought, you, I thought you would agree with me. I just thought I'd get one of those amens thrown in there. It used to be so much easier when I was young and ignorant. You know what I mean? When I, was a, when I was a kid, okay, this is going to predate a lot of you guys right here. But when I was a kid, you could quickly tell who the bad guy was on a cartoon because he had on a black hat or black something or, or a scowl on his face or something. The hero always won and never died in battle. But I grew up and I learned differently. Some of our best heroes die in battle. Thanks to those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom here in this country. But that was when I was young and ignorant. I mean, really young and ignorant. But I became a teenager, you know, and I found out that drugs aren't just something you hear about on the news. It's not just something about that's touching somebody else's family in another part of town. I became a teenager, and I realized, oh, wow, you know, these things are real. They're right here. They're, they're, they're around me. You know, the guy sitting behind me in class, you know, he's, he's, He's got some, he's offering, or somebody even stopped me in the hallway and asked me if I've got any to sell. 
You know, so my eyes are beginning to be open. But as I look back, something else that I've noticed is, is, is I look back and I realize, and I don't want to offend anybody here, but let me just be honest and open with you, is, is I look back and say, man, you know, sex was a ready, easy opportunity when I was a teenager. Thank God I was so naive and so, protect, you know, so, uh, you know, just protected by my mom and dad. You know, I, thank God I was, so, but it was there. But so what I'm saying is, even though my eyes were being open, it wasn't open to everything. I was still ignorant in so many ways. I got married, got married at the end of my teenage years. And I guarantee you as a, uh, uh, eight, I think it was 18, 18 years and about three and 11 months uh, away, from, you know, 11 months old. I was just about a month away from being 19. Even as 19 years, I was ignorant. And if you still don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you how ignorant I was about being a husband. Amen. Amen. It's okay. And you know, what I've realized is I've looked back is I realized and, I, and I, started, I started learning this as a married man. I started learning the things that I thought were important, the things that I built my life around, the things that I said, this is what I'm going to do no matter what else. Nothing else is going to get, this is what is important. This is the one thing that is on my calendar. I'm going to make sure I get this done, whether anything else gets done, those things that were so important, the things, the problems that I had that I would allow to just utterly destroy my day, and I couldn't do anything else because I was just so upset about my problem. Don't want to talk to any of you Alabama fans about any of that right now. But uh, the things that were so important to me and the things that destroyed my life, I realized how petty they are. And then we started pastoring our first church. And it was so easy back then because I had all the answers. I had amazing perception when I was pastoring my first church because I knew what every other pastor was doing wrong. I could see it, man. I, I, well, that's how they're messing up. I had amazing perception. If they had just come and sat with me, I could have told them what was wrong with their church. And I could have told them how I'm going to do it when I get my opportunity. And then God gave me my opportunity. I realized how ignorant I was about pastoring too. And on and on. I, 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 I briefly approached this subject a couple of weeks ago. And I talked about how ignorant we, we are. And we always enter everything ignorant, okay? It is no sin, no crime, nothing to be embarrassed about that you were ignorant. You were born into this world ignorant. You went to school ignorant of the many, many things you were going to learn over the next 12 years or more for some of you and less for some of you, right? You were ignorant. You started a, a job and maybe you had some understanding, but you were ignorant about the many, many things. That, so we have ignorance. You know, we, we get married, we have kids. And I, I kind of talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. And we're, we're ignorant of those things and we have to learn them. But we don't have to stay ignorant. We get to learn, and we do learn, don't we? We learn how little we know. We learn how wrong we are. We learn how not to do, anybody ever learn how not to do something? This week, yeah. I've learned, I've learned how not to do a lot of things. And we learn how, to lot, how not to do things. And then and every once in a while, we stumble upon this one little secret, and, and we try it, and we are successful in one thing. And then, if we're not careful, ignorance will creep back in and think, man, I got it figured out now. If we're not careful, we'll do that. And so we, we, we don't have to stay ignorant, but it's during those learning times that my ignorance has kind of sometimes made me feel a little stupid because I, I thought I knew everything and then I learned I didn't and I felt stupid and I felt stressed because as a pastor, you know, people expected me to know everything. You know, I, I, I kind of 
maybe came across a lot of times to David, like, you know, I, hey, I, I know how to be a husband. Stressed as well. And, and, and continuing on. The, the world was so small. It was so compact when I was younger. It wasn't this big, huge thing that, that now with the internet, and I mean, and the internet is not something at home anymore, but the internet's it's in my pocket right here, right? I mean, I'm connected to pretty much everybody in the civilized world. I'm connected. It was so much smaller when I was little. It was so much, man, it was so much easier. The world was, you know, even the Bible was smaller when I was little. And I don't mean it was smaller in size or that we've added words to it, but I mean, it only spoke to me. Now, I know it, I, I always knew it didn't only speak to me. But when I read it, I read it like it was only talking to me. And if it ever mentioned you, it was really just about how you're supposed to treat me. I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, we kind of somehow have that little ignorance of, about us. And, and, and even the Bible, we make the Bible so small. And church, I got to tell you, I, I, I was raised in, in really a small church mindset. And I don't mean, I don't mean, the, you know, I, I guess the largest our home church ever got up to was still under 200. But, and I don't mean that, but I mean the small worldview. Is, is, is in my early formative years, those, those spiritual leaders that I had, they looked at the world through, through the perspective of a Western civilization. You know what I mean? And, and really, it was probably smaller than that. It was probably through the perspective of Southeastern United States, Bible Belt. And many times, it was even smaller than that because it was just the way our denomination looked at things and our worldview, and I guarantee there were some times that I know it was just about our local church. You know, I've got, I've got a cousin at one time, he said, about, he said about his mom, he said, she doesn't believe we're the only church going to heaven, she just thinks we're going to get there first, turn the lights on for everybody else. <laughs> and, and I was raised in this, and, and so looking back at this, you know, I, I understand. Looking back at this, I understand those Westboro folks, you, you know Westboro? Google it later, not right now. Google it if you don't know. How easy it was for them to get so off base, for them to get so scared, so worried, and become the crazies that they are. Yes, I said it. I went ahead and said it, okay? But God didn't stop me, so I said it. It's in my notes, so I went ahead and said it, all right? Have they become the crazies that they are? So thank God. Let me get, I just said, say, thank God. He moved us into places to minister to people who were different crazy different sometimes. They had multiple marriages. I mean, they'd been divorced. I was taboo when I was a kid in my home church. Some of them watched R-rated movies and didn't hide it from the pastor. They didn't care. They didn't know any different. They weren't raised in the Bible Belt. They weren't raised by parents who were Christians. They didn't know how to quote. They, didn't un- they couldn't quote. They didn't know John 3, 16. I mean, the basic one of all that's in the scriptures. They, they, di- they didn't know that. They didn't pray. They didn't ask the blessing over, over every meal. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so I, I started seeing this, and now I'm getting, I'm, getting, I'm, and I'm getting stressed, and I'm feeling stupid like I've always thought about how small this world is, and I'm getting stressed, and, and, and now I'm getting confused, too, because, man, this thing's a lot bigger than, than I've always been told in ministry, and like, you know, and, and, you know hammering that it's so, so little, and, and then all these other people are coming in the door, and, and, I, and I'm seeing the works of Jesus, and how he did it in Scripture, and, I, and I'm seeing all these people come in with all these other problems, and, and like, you know, it doesn't fit into my little world here anymore, and I'm confused. How do I fix this, God? What do I do with this? 
But then I take with all that and I add in man's inhumanity to man. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we used to study in school about Hitler, you know. You know, he was just a funny looking guy with a little mustache, you know, and then we grew up and we heard all the real stories about what all the atrocities. And he's not the only one. He's just maybe one of the best examples of, of things that have happened throughout history in other parts of the world. But then it started happening here. 16th Street Baptist Church. That's another one. If you don't know what that means, Google it. Write it down right now. Google it later. Not right now. Don't read the story. You need to know. Dahmer. You know that name? Dahmer? Warren Jeffs. A little, little more recent. 9-11. And now seemingly every time I walk by a, news, a, a newspaper box or I turn on the TV or the news, there's another Amber Alert. It's like constantly. And dads killing their own children and taking their own life. There, there's, there's no way my wife could make me mad enough to kill my child. My child couldn't make me mad enough to kill them. I, you know, I don't understand. And so, 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 so I'm, 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 I'm looking at this and I'm seeing all this and, 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 it's, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And then the people that we minister to on a regular basis. I can't tell you, I can't tell you details probably because of, of confidentiality reasons, but I can't tell you the numbers of people that have kids innocent children that we've ministered to and families that we've ministered to that have walked literally through hell on this earth for whom nightmares don't end when they wake up in the morning. That's when they begin. And so God stretched us. Almost to the point of, oh God, how much more of this can we take? I, I, I don't understand, God. There's, there's too much of this, God. It's got to stop somewhere. God, I've got to have some relief. And then I start, I start wondering, you know, wondering about all this. And I see, I see the multitudes. And, you know, I'm driving, driving down, you know, 280 or, or, or the interstate or somewhere. And I'm seeing all these people. And this world is so much bigger than my, my little world used to be. So, and, and then I think about the multitudes in this world. You know, there are billions of people alive right now just in these generations. Not counting all the other generations that have lived before us. The billions. And so, so, yeah, stress, confusion, overwhelmed, feel that way a lot of times. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad many times that God didn't make me God. Because I don't think, I don't think I can handle it. I'm not doing good with my own problems. How could God, I'm glad he didn't make, because I, I don't think I can handle that. And you know what? Sometimes I get to the place where I ask God, how do you deal with this, God? How do you deal with seeing all this, all this pain, all this suffering? And sometimes, you know how we do sometimes is we deal with things by ignoring it and acting like it ain't really happening. Sometimes I wonder, God, are you doing that? I'm praying and nothing's changing. God, are, are you dealing with this? Is it too much on you? And so you have to ignore it also because I remember that scripture, you know, when Jesus died on the cross and it said that, that God turned his back on him. And I wonder, you know, I've often wondered if maybe part of his father turning his back on him was because I just can't deal with that anymore. And Jesus had to cry out, my, my, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? I wonder sometimes, I'm praying for some of you and some of the stuff that you're going through and we think we get a little bit of a victory and boom, we get, feel like we're knocked right back and we're starting all over. It's like, God, how, how is it? You know, you seem like you're not even interested in this. And so do I dare, you know, to stress and 
you know, and confused and overwhelmed, do I dare add jaded to my list of emotions? I'm not supposed to. I know that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm the pastor, you know. I'm not, I'm not supposed to get jaded with this whole experience with God. I, I'm supposed to have all the answers like that cocky young pastor that I once was. But we're being really honest here today, aren't we? I'd say most times I've got more questions than I have answers. Anybody with me? <laughs> Anybody with me? I mean, I'm just like, I don't know, God. I don't understand, God. Let's start with this question. How does a local pastor even make sense of it? How do I preach that message to you? That the pain you're going through is all part of God's plan. That him taking his own vessels and giving them to somebody to, 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 to desecrate them by putting them in a, a temple to a false god. How do, I, how, do, how do we make sense of that? How does a pastor preach and lead and challenge and empower and anoint and inspire others when he has so many questions himself? Those are real questions that a real man, a real pastor has. And put that scripture away. I know some of you, I know some of you, you you're just like me. You've got a scripture, or you've got a list of scriptures that they are the cure for whatever ails you today. I got them. You know, somebody tells me something, I say, well, let me give you a scripture. I got one for you. And it's supposed to cure everything. But here's the problem. I've quoted the scriptures and the baby still died. I quoted the scripture, and the child was still abused. I quoted the scripture, and the lady was still raped. I quoted the scripture, and a young man was still gunned down. So don't give me, is what I'm saying, I, I, just don't give me any easy answers. I'm going to tell you something. This world doesn't need any easy answers because these are not easy questions. We don't live in easy times. We act like they are, but we don't. These are not easy, this, this, these are not easy questions, not anymore, not in my world, not in my life. The hurting, dying, abused, tormented, anxious, fearful people that I minister to on a daily basis, they need real answers. And because I have to minister to them, that's who God has put in my, in my life, so do I. Do you need real answers? Are you happy with the the pap and the, the easy stuff. Oh, just everybody just smiled. It's going to be all right. And all that. That's not enough for me anymore. I am tired of acting like the conflict between a kingdom of righteousness and good and eternal life is not that there is no conflict between it and a kingdom of death and a kingdom of pain. And we act as if, as if, as if it's not there. I'm, I'm tired of that. I'm ministering to people who need real answers. Here, here, here's a little place in, in my sermon notes that I need to be careful and follow God because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. But if you're looking to sit in a place on Sundays where you will never be challenged to stand up to the fight that is between the two kingdoms, 
then you're not looking for Church 2911. You're looking for another place. And I think you can find it. And because I, th I think there are plenty of places where all you got to do is show up, write your tithe check, and say, thank you, Pastor. Give him a high five. Good job. And go out the door. And don't worry about it till next week. But an hour and a half isn't doing it for the people in this building. An hour and a half of Christianity is not doing it for the people that have real needs. An hour and a half of worship and listening and praying, and then that's it. An hour and a half is not enough for the families that are dying right here in front of us. That's not how we got here. That's not how these people have gotten to the place that they are, and that's not how we'll get on home. And, and, and if you say, to, if you agree with me, you know, if you don't agree with me, just hang in here for about 15 more minutes and, and you can leave, okay? Uh, but if you agree with me, I want, you to put, I want you to stick your feet down in the sand with me this morning. I want you to be here for these four sermons. I want you to say, God, challenge me. Because I want to know more. I want to know what finishes this. I want to know how to hang on when the world is crumbling all around me. I want more than just some easy answers, or just somebody's scripture list. Because see, here's the problem with the scripture. The scripture's powerful. That's, that's not the issue. The scripture is powerful. And it will, the word of God says, almost like the word of God is speaking about itself here and says, I'll go out and do exactly what I'm, I'm intending to do. Whenever I am spoken, I will do whatever I am intended to do. And the word of God is like, it's like a sharp sword that divides between, divides between the marrow. And, and, and that means it's, it's, it's sharp like a surgeon's scalpel, sharper than a surgeon's scalpel to, to be able to divide. And that's the first step of this. That's the first step. So let's get to that this morning. You see, because Daniel probably had a lot of the same questions that you and I have. He, he probably had a lot of the same problems because he was sitting... You know, I don't know, doing what he used to do. I don't know if he was in, in school at this time. He was a young man. But the Babylonians showed up, and they overthrew Jerusalem. And can I tell you something? War is not pretty. You read that real quick and say, okay, they besieged Israel, and God gave them into Babylon's hands. Okay, sounds like they came in, and they made a peace treaty. And they said, that's not what happened. This was war. There were women raped in the streets. There were kids killed in the streets. There, were, there was death and dying, and then there was murder on top of that. There were, there were men from Babylon who were taking advantage of everything, every single thing they could take advantage of, and they even stole the very treasures out of the house of God. These were horrible times that had come, but the difference between Daniel's time and our time is this. Here it is. And here, here's the biggest danger. Here's the, the biggest thing, and I, I think we've got to get this before we get anything else. Is with Daniel, it happened overnight. He was sitting, dip, sipping sweet tea in his recliner, watching the ball game. Okay, I, I know those are, you know, but that kind of like we are. And then all of a sudden, boom, the enemy comes in. They overthrow Jerusalem. They take him and a bunch of others, not just these four. They take him and a bunch of others back to Babylon. And so now the next very, very next morning, they wake up and he wakes up and maybe while he was asleep, I don't know if he had nightmares of what he had seen the day before, or maybe God had given him a good restful night. But when he woke up, he remembered, whoa, wait a minute. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. This is a different kingdom. And he looked all around him and he was, he was, he was relocated to be a part of a different kingdom. But he knew and what we see in the book of Daniel is we see the heart 
of Daniel. We see that he had a heart for God. And so what I, I know by reading all of this and seeing what he did is when he woke up the next day and said, we're, 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 just, we're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're in a different kingdom. And he saw this kingdom and he says, I got to make a life here because this is all I've got. And I got to make, he, even though he said, I have to live in this kingdom. But he had to make a declaration. And you have to make that declaration too. And the difference is, what happened to Daniel overnight, relocated from the kingdom that he truly belonged to, to another kingdom, has happened very slowly for us. And the church has been lured, enticed, and slowly drawn away to another kingdom. So slow that many Christians don't even realize that they're living in a different kingdom. They don't even realize that there are two kingdoms. So how did Daniel deal with this? Let me show you the very first thing about how Daniel deal, dealt with this. And this is, the, this, is, this is the thing I want you to get before we close here today. Is, is that when Ashpenaz got these really smart young guys from Jerusalem, they'd done the same thing with every other kingdom that they had overthrown, and they brought them in. One of the first things they did was give them a new name. And the reason was they wanted to separate them from the old kingdom. They gave them a name that meant things. These names that he gave them were names that, that, that glorified, worshipped, or magnified the false god where they had taken the vessels of the temple of God and put it in his, this false god's place. And so that's why they gave them new names to do everything they could. Even their names and their identity, they wanted to make part of this new kingdom. And verse 7 says, the chief official gave them other names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. You know what's really interesting about this to me? You know, the, you know the Jewish name of Daniel, right? But you know the Chaldean name for these other guys, don't you? I mean, you, did, did you even know who Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were? But you've probably heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, that's the fiery furnace guys, isn't it? Yeah, hold on. That's in a later sermon, okay? Shadrach, oh yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, but we don't know Belteshazzar, we don't know that name. We know Daniel. You know why? It's kind of like me today, you know. I'm preaching, so I get to tell the story my way, right? This was Daniel's book of the Bible. This was his story. And he got to write it. He wrote what God laid on his heart, what God revealed to him, what God did through him, the mighty works that he saw God do. He wrote those, and since he was writing them, he said, I'm going to write my name like I want my name. And he said, I am not going to be Belteshazzar, but I will be Daniel. And even though he, yeah, he, he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he called them by their Chaldean names. In the next chapter, he calls them by their names. He doesn't go back to the Hananite and all that. He calls them by their names, but he writes his own as Daniel. Here, here's, here's two things he said. Is he was declaring, and the next slide shows, it just throws that extra little thing up there, is that I am a citizen of another kingdom. That's what he was declaring. My name is not Belteshazzar. You can call me that all you want to because you're the king. Now, I'm sure he didn't have that attitude, at least publicly. But privately, what he was saying is, they can call me that all they want to, but my name is not Belteshazzar. My name is Daniel, because I am a citizen of another kingdom. I am a citizen. And two things he was saying here is he was saying, there are two kingdoms at play here. There is a kingdom that I have to live in, but there is another kingdom that I am a part of. And that was what he was saying, is there are two, and he says, 
I have chosen which one I am a part of. And the first thing we've got to do is we've got to decide which kingdom we're a part of. And I've got to tell you this. There is no such thing as spiritual dual citizenship. You know, in this, in this world, you can be a citizen of two countries. But there is no such thing in the spiritual realm as dual citizenship. You will either be one or the other. And so those people who, first of all, refuse to even admit that there are two kingdoms, they're fooling themselves. They're living in this kingdom. And those that have declared that, but they say, I, I just, I kind of want, no, you've got to make up your mind. I mean, if you want, if you want the answers, I mean, the very first thing, the very first lesson we get from Daniel is you have to decide. You got to make up your mind. There are two kingdoms and I may have to live in this one, but I am not a part of it. This one's going down. I mean, look all around you. This one is failing. This one is falling apart. God created this earth for us to live in, but the kingdom that is here today that God has allowed because of sin that is in the world, because we've allowed sin to come in, the kingdom that he is allowing to run this world, it's going down, it's failing. And if you want eternity, and if you want to look beyond, and if you want to look beyond just, just the things and all the stuff happening, and you want some real power, then you've got to declare, I may have to live in this world, but I belong to this world. I am a citizen of another kingdom. You have to make that declaration. I, I, I need to really hurry here, and I, I don't have time to come back next week and tell you these things. But I want to tell you, Ed Stetzer put this in, and I'm glad. I started not to use his, but I, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I've got his classifications up here of the, of the American Christian and, and American Christianity, because I can do it real quick. I'm probably just using this. There are about 70, when you, if you see a survey or a poll, there are anywhere 70 to 80% of the people in this country call themselves Christians. Now, that's really exciting to you if that's all you hear, but that's not the whole story. You need to hear the rest of the story. Because the first 25% of those are cultural Christians. Cultural Christians are those who, because they're taking a poll and it says, are you a Christian? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. Are you an atheist? Well, no, I do believe there's a God. Are you a Jew? No, I'm, oh, I'm not a Jew. I guess I'm a Christian. Because I live in America and I'm not an atheist or a Jew or a Muslim or, uh, okay, I'm a Christian. It's almost a political thing instead of a, you know, an identity thing of who I really am. 25% of those, just about a quarter of Americans say that because there's nothing else to say. This is, I guess this is closest to who I hang out with and those kinds of things as anything else. Second, a second 25% of the population of the United States of America are what he calls congregational Christians. They have a place that they say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm affiliated with that church over there, meaning that they don't have any deep spiritual convictions. They've made no great deep commitment to God, but they're saying, I go there on Christmas and Easter, or my parents go there, and sometimes I drop in with them, you know, Father's Day, it's good to be there, and Mother's Day, and, or, 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 you know, when they, have, when they have Thanksgiving dinner meal together, which we do that around here, and that's one of our traditions we do. We, we try not to do many traditions. That's one of them we got. And, and, you know, I'll go over to 2911 when they have the meal or whatever. They're congregational Christians. They have a congregation they kind of connect with, but it, it's, it's no commitment to them. And there's another 25% that are the committed, the convictional Christians, that there's, there's conviction. There's like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And because of it, I don't just attend church on Sundays that it's convenient. I don't just pay my tithes when I've got money left over. I don't just pray when I've got problems. 
But when decisions come up, God is involved in the decision. There's prayer made in the decision. Now, basically, these convictional Christians are the ones who, who their life all revolves in some way around the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that might have been really exciting to hear a few minutes ago that 70 to 80% of Americans call themselves Christians, but then when you realize what they're really saying, and there's only about a quarter of them who are saying, my life revolves around a relationship with Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. I make decisions based on being a Christian. And so here's the parallel back to Daniel's time. There were cultural, there were cultural Jews because there were a lot of other people besides Daniel, Hananiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were more than them that were taken back. And so these other guys said, yeah, I'm, I'm from Jerusalem. I guess you'd call me a Jew. And then there were those who, who yeah, I, I've, I've been to the temple. You know, yeah, we, we, we sacrifice, you know, because we, we, you know, we don't want to die one day and get to heaven and God wonder, you know, why didn't you sacrifice? So we, we sacrifice. We go to the big, th- you, know, you know, the big uh, Passover and all those kinds of things. We, we go to those things at the temple, you know, when it's, when it's the feast times and everything. But as far as conventional Jews, as far as we know, there were only four. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these, everything they did, are you listening? Everything they did was about their true identity. I am a citizen of another kingdom. I'm a citizen of another kingdom. I don't have time to read you this last scripture, but I'm I'm gonna jump ahead to it. I wanna tell you this this last bit of the story and I want you to come down and, and if you will, come down and close with me in prayer. Daniel interprets a, a dream for the king, Nebuchadnezzar. All of his wise men can't interpret it, but then Daniel says, don't worry about it, king. He says, I can interpret the dream. And so he, he interprets the dream, and when he does, the king says, oh, man, you're awesome. Your God is awesome, and he's revealed to you. He actually bows down before Daniel, and he exalts him in the kingdom. And the word of God tells us, the word of God tells us that Daniel asks that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be also given positions of honor in the kingdom. I, I, do, I do need, give me that, that, uh, that scripture. I, I do need people to see this. Um, go on to the next one, verses 48 and 49. It says here at the end, uh, it said, at Daniel's request, right there in the middle, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel was, was exalted very high in the kingdom, and then he asked for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give them something awesome to do in the kingdom. And they were sent out. Okay, here, here, here's, the, here's the picture I want you to get right here. I want, I want to relate this to us. Here, okay, here it is. I'm looking for some Shadrachs. I'm looking for some Meshachs. I'm looking for some Abednegoes that God wants me to be praying over. Not, you know, not to get your hangnails healed tomorrow. If you got one, let me know. We'll try to pray over it, okay? But I mean, that, that's, but for real answers to real questions. For some people who aren't satisfied that an hour and a half on a Sunday morning is enough. That a little prayer coming down for just a few moments and let a prayer team member pray over me, that's not enough. I, I've got to be not, I've got to not just have the answers, I've got to, not just have the questions, I've got to start being part of the answer. And, and, and I got to be honest with you, my heart is drawn right over here so much because I know how you guys are, you know, my age. It is so hard to break habits, isn't it? It It's so hard to become more than you ever were. 
But I challenge you. I dare you. Give God these four weeks. Hear God speak to you in this, in this sermon series. I, I, I challenge those of you who are my age and older, especially hear it. And realize this world is in trouble. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about the political systems. I'm talking about the people of this world are in trouble. And they don't even know it. They don't even realize that there is another kingdom that wants to destroy everything in their life. I challenge you. Shake yourself. Get out of the place of complacency. Get out of your, high, your, your recliner. Put down your iced tea. Turn off the TV. Shake yourself and say, God, make me part of the answer again. Like some of you used to have the fire to be. And that's why I challenge you so much, young guys, young ladies. Don't ever become like, man, I've fought in and out of that. In it. But you're a preacher. Yeah, but I've fought in and out of it. Don't ever go. Right now, be the Shadrach, the Meshach. It is no accident. The king didn't ask for 60-year-old men who were wise. He asked for young men, and, and I'm asking God, young men and young women who, are, who have the ability to become wise and be trained and become the amazing people that God has always dreamed they would be, to be the answers. So I want you to do two things, one, one or the other. <coughs> I want you to humor me. If you're, if you're just not into this at all, humor me by joining us in just a few moments if you would like. But I want the rest of you, I pray God give us some Shadrachs, Meshach, and Abednegoes that will discover their purpose. Listen, missions change, but your purpose never changes. Your purpose is always something God gives you, and that you will go after your purpose. You will put your feet down in the sand. You will learn everything you need to learn so that God can make you the awesome, the awesome answer that you need to be to the people around you. And I want to ask you if you're willing to be, if you're not just, not, not just willing, that's not strong enough. If you demand to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then please stand and come down to the front with me. Let me close with you in prayer. And if you'll just humor it, like I said, humor me. If, you, if you'll just come with us, come join us. I'd like to invite everyone to come down, but I, I, I pray that many of you are making the decision. I demand the opportunity to be a Shadrach, a Meshach, and an Abednego. Let me say this real quick. Prayer team members are all around you. They're wearing a, a lanyard that says prayer. I hope they are. If before we leave here, you would like a prayer team member to pray with you because you've got one of these real needs. You don't have a hangnail. You're hurting. You're dying inside. You're abused. You're tormented. You're anxious. You're fearful. And you need, you would like a prayer team member to pray with you before we leave. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Come on. I just need prayer. Some of you, two dozen of you raised your hand last week. Did y'all get your needs met in the last two weeks? To, uh, come on, anybody need prayer before we leave here today? Just slip up your hand so a prayer team member can see you. Get their attention before we leave here. I know you've got needs. I know you've got needs. So here's the thing. Who's the Shadrach? Who's the Meshach? Who's the, who, are they? who are they right here? You're in the middle of a crowd. I don't know who you are, but listen to me, whoever you are. Expect opportunity. The message today... 
is make up your mind who you are, your identity. I am part of an, I have to live in this kingdom, but I am part of another kingdom. This is my identity. I'm a Shadrach, I'm a Meshach, I'm an Abednego. This is who I am. And start expecting opportunity for God to put you in situations that will challenge you. Put you in places that will challenge you. And here's the reason for the challenge. So that it will bring glory to God. So that it will advance his word, his truth, and his kingdom. Start expecting that opportunity. Would you give me and God three more Sundays? Make up your mind right now. I, I really said, uh, Kyle told me, what was it, two weeks ago, 48? 42. 42 young single adults here in our church service last week. I said, man, that's an army. Give us an army, God, of Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. I challenge you. And, and, and if you've been in doing this a long time, but you just kind of, you've gotten complacent, shake yourself this morning. Can I pray over you? Can I pray over you and ask you, come on, let's see God do something amazing. And let's become the army that takes freedom to this world. We're going to sing about freedom here in a moment. That's why I said that, okay? And don't start singing until you finish praying. Jamie, go ahead. When you